1: And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff.
0: My guest is Kelvin Chin, life after life expert whose past life memories reach back 6,000 years. He is also the executive director and founder of both the Overcoming the Fear of Death Foundation and the nonprofit TurningWithin.org. Kelvin, it's nice to have you back and welcome.
1: Yeah, it's great to see you again, Jeff.
0: So for those of you who don't know Kelvin, he was on before and he was podcast number 622 and it's titled Man Escapes Death While Being Outside of His Body. We talked about that incident as well as about his life of being a, I guess you could say a master meditator as well as meditator teacher.
1: 50 years now. Yeah. Over 50 years.
0: I don't think we even spoke about your past lives at that time, and I was surprised to find out about your new book. So let's get into it. Sounds good. When did you start remembering these past lives, and how did it happen?
1: What's interesting, uh, I was in my mid-20s, uh, I was about 26 years old, and what's interesting is I didn't even know that it had anything to do with past lives at the time. I didn't even believe in past lives, quite frankly. But what happened was I had a dream. I had a really, I mean, what people would call a nightmare. I had a really, really upsetting dream, uh, more upsetting than anything that I could ever remember previously having. And I didn't know anything about it other than it was upsetting. And then about six or eight months later, I was telling a friend of mine, close friend of mine, that I had a really upsetting dream and he finished it. I was like, what? What? He described it to me. He told me what I was wearing. He told me emotionally. He described what he saw. What and I said, "What are you talking about?" And he said, "Yeah." That, I um. I said, "How do you know this?" He's. I, I I found you two thousand years ago. Hmm. That's how I found you.
0: So you're saying that he knew you two thousand
1: yeah. years ago? Yeah, and he found me lying in a ditch, crying.
0: Now was he a person that was already into past lives?
1: Well, the thing is, it's interesting you that because I sort of knew that he had said stuff about it, but I did discounted it because I didn't. Like I said, I didn't believe in past lives and stuff. I thought, yeah, yeah, he's a good friend of mine, but he's making stuff up, you know. I, I kind of ignored it, you know. I, I, I was, you know, polite, and I mean, he's a good friend of mine, but I was like, yeah, okay, he's a little bit, you know, maybe he's a little bit kooky, you know, and, and so I really didn't. Um, much attention to it until then but yeah he for a couple of years evidently he'd been saying stuff to a few of us and we would be like yeah okay yeah George okay all right great yeah wait what's for what's for dinner you know <laughs>
0: do you believe he's a member of your soul family and you've had yes. many past lives together
1: yeah yeah people use that phrase soul family I I think that that's that is the case with with him and me and several others my kids this lifetime for example but yeah uh we figured out we triangulated maybe it was 10 or 15 years later i had another experience which i mentioned in my in my new book um where uh i i had a a memory of being a a priest in egypt i've been a priest in egypt ancient, ancient egypt like several times i'm not exactly sure how many times but several times and uh one of the times i remembered being with a you know, from our perspective now, an ancient Hebrew guy named Joseph. And, and and I had blurted out some stuff during my meditation about this guy, Joseph. And he, and I said, George, I'm saying this weird stuff. This was, in, I think, in the early 90s or something, 1990s or something like that. And he said, you know who Joseph was? I said, no. He said, it was me. It was him. <laughs> so like 4,000 years ago.
0: Now, you come from a science background, and you're even named after the man who created Absolute Zero. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's one of the reasons why, this lifetime anyway, (laughs) I, I didn't have any belief in reincarnation, past lives or anything. I just thought it was a bunch of fantasy. Um, I have a science background. My mom and my dad were both scientists. My mom was a chemistry major at Boston University. She actually, before I was born, she was a chemist. She worked for Star Market or Stop and Shop. She worked for one of those big supermarket chains in the Boston area at the time as a chemist. Uh, And then my dad was a mechanical engineer. So very science oriented i was a math science guy in uh you know growing up and so forth in high school and so forth and then i changed in college but uh you know focus but um always been science rational logic figure things out mentally that's how i'm kind of wired
0: had you already been involved in meditation because I feel like if you were you're kind of on the doorstep of past
1: lives yeah, it's a good point I, I the short answer is yes, but there's a slight <laughs> no in it in a sense because when I first learned to meditate when I was nineteen years old, I was not into anything spiritual. I learned because I was stressed out. I was so anxious. I was so desperate to relieve my anxiety that I learned to meditate that's the sole reason I learned to meditate if you had asked me if you said if you had said Jeff the word to me spiritual I would have thought yeah I kind of went to church a few you know didn't pay attention my parents made me go to Sunday school they wanted to get rid of us (laughs) they they never went there's they would go Christmas and Easter to church the rest of the time we would go every every Sunday and so that's how I thought of spirituality. So I had a negative view towards it, quite frankly. You know, it was like a uh, it was a place to, that my parents made us go. Um, I never thought of spirituality in the way that I've now experienced it in the last 40-something years.
0: Can you talk about the elements that changed you from non-belief into rational acceptance?
1: Yeah, I think... First of all, to segue from the last point, meditation clearly was something that changed me internally. I don't know, change is the right word, but opened me up more to myself, I guess is the more accurate way of saying it. Opened me up more to who I was Forgetful of who I was. I guess that's the accurate way of saying it because it's like we're all—we all have this larger sense of self. Everybody does, but not everybody is accessing it, or maybe even remembering it. And I was not remembering it when I was 19 years old. But over the several years of meditating every day, twice a day, and and then I I went on some longer meditation retreats for you know weekends, week long, month long, that kind of thing. I started opening up more, uh, you know, first, obviously, I got rid of my anxiety. But then I started opening up more consciousness wise to uh, my, we could say my larger sense of self. um, And that really opened me up. So it, it had this experience going on, and still my rational skepticism of what am I experiencing? Do I really feel connected? Yeah, I do really feel connected with, you know, all things in In my environment and then larger and larger and then felt like well i'm connected to everything in the universe animate inanimate well how does that match up with my science background and rational thinking and so forth immediately when i first was 19 20 years old the first thing i did to kind of square that circle so to speak to use that phrase um was i volunteered to be in some of the first medical studies ever done on meditation in the United States on any kind of meditation it was 1970-71, and it was a Harvard Medical School professor who was doing um, some experiments. So I volunteered. So that's how I first tried to go. Like, what's going on? I feel better from doing this eyes closed thing called meditation. What's work? What? How's that affecting me? scientifically you know and when I say biologically right so then I started connecting those dots and, and there's no dots but after a while you can't really it's difficult to connect the dots you start having out there kind of spiritual experiences like I did you know five six seven years down the road Um. that's when I stumbled upon I don't know in the 80s sometimes this was after I'd already started having these what I considered weird, odd, unusual experiences that I later realized were past life stuff. Uh, I stumbled on the first law of thermodynamics, the, you know, the, the 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 notion that energy cannot be created nor destroyed, no beginning, no end to energy. And that's when I started thinking connecting those rational dots that maybe that's an explanation for why my I think I'm experiencing my soul to be continuing from lifetime to lifetime.
0: I would think that just the act of being able to quiet your mind through years of meditation, it let you access these memories.
1: Well, I think you're right. I mean, yeah, first it's, you know, get rid of my anxiety. Uh, and that's not to say that everybody with, the, you don't have to get rid of all of your anxiety because they still had anxiety going on and stress and stuff and everybody does, but I, my big blocks, I, I would say, my big blocks that were blocking me initially. And yeah, opened me up more, opened me up more. And now memories start creeping in. Um, I think a lot of my fears, I think that's a block for many people, for me and anyway, and for probably for a lot of people, maybe everybody, uh, it's my conjecture, is blocked by a lot of our fears and so forth. So that started to dissipate in me over the years of meditating. And I think, as you say, I think that helped open me up.
0: In one of your lives, you were Marcus Aurelius. So did the movie Gladiator ever trigger any extra memories about that?
1: Yeah, that that was the movie that triggered the beginning. I had already had memories of ancient Rome for decades before that movie. Um, but they were it was almost confusing to me in a certain sense i don't talk about this in the book so it's interesting you asked me this so this is something that's not in the book so people are going to watch this going to get a little extra that's not in the book because i just thought of this um i i had memories of being in rome but at different times being in rome so i imply this in the book you'll see if when people read the book you'll it'll make some sense to them what i'm going to say to you which is uh, I I I had memories of being in Rome at different times. When I saw the movie Gladiator, I remembered being in Rome at a certain time, around the time of the movie Gladiator taking place, the, the Russell Crowe movie. Right, it was that nineteen ninety nine? It came out. Um, so around that period of time, what's that? hundred about hundred sixty A.D. ish, one hundred and forty to one hundred sixty A.D. ish. Around then that time period, 160, 170 AD. That's when that uh movie kind of took place. Um, but I had other memories of being in Rome much earlier than that, like many, you know, m- you know, hundreds of years earlier than that. And so that's what I had before I saw the movie Gladiator. So to answer your question, so I then I see the movie Gladiator. And I'm sitting there with my daughter, my five year old daughter, which is kind of crazy. If people know that movie, it's a little bit bloody mm-hmm. at times. Um, and, and but my daughter is the only one out of the family of four of us who wanted to go. My wife didn't want to go. My son, didn't want to go. He, ten year, he was I think ten years old at the time, or you know, ten or twelve. He wasn't interested. And um, uh, and and Sammy wanted to go. He's my five year old. Turns out she had Roman, ancient Rome memories that surfaced for her out of this too that's a whole other story but i was sitting there and in marcus aurelius is only there at the very beginning of the movie those people who remember the movies only there uh at the very very beginning and um he uh it's fictionalized but when i saw his character i just knew i had been him it was a knowingness it was a weird feeling of knowingness sitting there in the theater and i went whoa what and 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 then i started looking into it further and then i had all this other triangulation and stuff that i talk about in the book that corroborated that but because I, i'm still skeptical, i was still skeptical skeptical you know mm-hmm. I, i'm still skeptical all the time
0: <laughs> sure You've probably read the book Meditations of Marcus Aurelius.
1: I had not. No. no I had not, not read anything. I, I I knew his name and I knew that he had been a Roman emperor. So it didn't surprise me seeing this character on screen at that time and so forth. But I didn't know anything about him. I I I, I had not studied anything and, and I'd never read those meditations. Obviously I have since. Mm-hmm. And then I started reading them and I started reading. And some of my students have pointed out to me, and actually a woman in Nova Scotia called me, she emailed me, and then we set up a phone call. She called me up, this was about, I don't know, four, five, or six years ago, and she called me up having read my stuff, Kelvin Chin's essays, and read Marcus Aurelius's stuff, meditations and so forth. She called me up, and the first thing she said to me, she said, "Are you Marcus Aurelius?" (laughs) The woman in Nova Scotia, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. She says you're either Marcus Aurelius or Epictetus. (laughs) Epictetus was a Greek uh, philosopher, very a a Stoic. uh, You know, one of the, you know, uh, progenitors of Stoicism philosophy.
0: Now, didn't you write your own book about his? meditations mm. or quotes as well
1: yeah yeah i got this you know my marcus aurelius my i call it my purple book because it, it's marcus aurelius updated mm-hmm. it's the title marcus aurelius updated now i don't say in here if you look at this book you, you notice that i don't say that i'm marcus Aurelius here so here's a little backstory for people who are watching your and i don't say i don't say i haven't said this before but uh your your audience will get a little special something here so I don't say in here that I was Marcus Aurelius. Um, but if they read, and a lot of people probably have skipped, they'll go back and read it again when they get this book, and they'll go, oh, now I get it. They'll see on page three in the print version, uh, this the section called Introduction. I'm talking about this interesting connection between Marcus Aurelius and this guy frederick the great who was a prussian king uh king of prussia 1600 who lived 1600 years after marcus aurelius why is kelvin chin talking about this here well you know people will read this oh that's interesting why is he talking about this the connection between these two now you're going to know after you read my my new book Mm -hmm. right and the other thing is if you have this print version and you look in the lower corner of the rear cover if you look carefully that's marcus aurelius when he's around 14 15 years old or so there's a light shadowed picture of frederick the great if you look in really closely my daughter put a picture of me there very very faintly now a lot of people going to look at they won't even see me Mm -hmm. they won't even see me that's an inside scoop for your that's uh, cool your audience
0: that's really awesome that you did that
1: i didn't want to come out at that point i wanted in the reason seriously from you know you you know me jeff i'm a teacher i'm not a preacher i'm not trying to change people's beliefs about even reincarnation or or believe that i say that i think i am who i am that, that that's irrelevant to me i'm a teacher i teach ideas i'm trying to help people reduce their fears and stuff And so I wanted them to focus on the ideas in here, not on the guy who wrote this book. I wanted them to just look at this as, um, you know, 67, a collection of 67 essays on different ideas, which it is. But you'll also notice that at the beginning of the book, here's another inside scoop for your audience, on chapter one is my favorite Marcus Aurelius meditations now i'm using the word meditations here the way people kind of you know you know generically use it not meditation technique closing your eyes we're talking about ideas ruminations in the way that people call his collection of maxims that marcus aurelius wrote for himself and never thought it would be published it's now published as meditations by marcus Mm -hmm. aurelius they weren't techniques they're ideas that he was maxims that he wrote so but i wrote a chapter here and i picked out my favorite ones and i i i quote the translation of his maxim and then i have my comment kelvin chin's commentary of and translation of it into 21st century language which is what the subtitle is 21st century meditations on living life right There's the backstory for your audience that nobody else has heard.
0: Well, you put a little mystery on the back cover, like the Da Vinci Code.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
0: I'm not sure how aware you are of the content that I produce on my channel, but I do post quite a few videos of UFOs and aliens, and
1: I think it's a great
0: way to talk about your past lives on other planets.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I I am aware of that, Jeff. Uh, Yeah. uh, I had a past life or at least one. I I may have had more. Again, in the book, as you said, we're going back 6,000 years, a couple of dozen lifetimes I have memories of. How many lifetimes I've had even over the 6,000 years or before the 6,000 years, who knows, right? And so I have a memory of one lifetime at least on another planet maybe i've had more that i don't remember of course um but the one i do remember uh was very very clear it was a vivid memory a vivid experience of a memory um and i was walking slowly i can still feel like as i'm talking to you right now i can still feel the the warmth and the feeling of the water around my legs i was i was in shallow water i was probably in uh you know calf deep water walking through a, a, out, out of a in an in inland sea and it was um the it was a it was a feeling of water around my legs that i can still palpably feel that was a different feel from any water I've been in on planet earth. I don't know how to describe it other than that. It 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 just felt different um on my on my on my body. Um I I I my vehicle, my ship, my vehicle was behind me. I didn't look around in the experience in the experience to see what it looked like. I just knew it was there. Um but it was 20, 30 yards behind me or something. And i I was walking slowly in. It was parked in the water. Um, but my 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 recollection is it wasn't floating in the water. It was it had landed in the water. It was it was on the ground, but in shallow water. And I was walking in from I was holding my 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 feet, my my footwear, I don't know if they were boots or whatever, but I was holding them. Out of the water, I was walking in, and six or eight of my friends were coming out to greet me. And they were tall, thin, no hair. Well, like me, no hair. <laughs> but literally no hair, hair. And, um, you know, eyes and, uh, you, know, you know, holes for nose. And, and they had a mouth that would move, but we were communicating telepathically in the experience. And it was like old homecoming is the only... The emotional experience is what I remember mostly as it was like saying, hey, it's great to see you. How you doing? How you been? It's great to hear that everybody's doing well. That was the feeling that I had with everybody coming out to, to see me and they were kind of wading out in this shallow water. The shoreline I remember seeing and there were trees and there was like a, a low geodesic dome set back in the woods.
0: So, would you say that your friends were gray-like, like the typical gray alien or still more yeah. humanoidish?
1: They were I, again, you you'd have to describe to me what you you mean by the gray gray-like cuz I just I have experiences, I don't have labels. Hmm. So, um tall, thin, a
0: classic alien you see with the big almond eyes. Kind of a triangular shaped head. They're usually gray, of, grayish sort of. in color.
1: Yeah, sort of. I, I I don't know if they were grayish in color, and uh, and the and the eyes were not as big as I've seen pictures of what you're describing. So sort of, kind of, but not exactly. I guess I would say
0: some of my guests will talk that all timelines. Past, present, and future are happening at the same time. So, is it possible that that was actually a future
1: life? I get, you know, possible. Who knows? But, you know, possible that anything is possible. But my experience is that time is sequential. My experience is that, um, that I, I think, I consider that not a future experience. Although there was, there's elements in it probably my ship if i turned around and looked at it but that's my sense is would be futuristic in terms of planet earth in 21st century but i think it was a past experience my experience of time time i define as a measurement of change and I, i don't just define it that's the general generally accepted definition of time is that it's a measurement of change well if time is in other words it's not a subjective experience people can have a subjective experience of time I've had how many times have I ever been on vacation? Back when I had corporate jobs, Jeff, or that I you know I can say now retrospect. I'm not really looking forward to going back to work on Monday, but you know, uh, and time goes really fast on vacation. That that doesn't mean that time didn't exist. It's my experience subjectively is different at different times, right? I think everybody's had that experience, but but so it's it's subjectively experienced, but it's not a subjective experience purely. I think it's an objective thing. It's a measurement of change. Does change exist in the universe? Yeah, that's my experience. Hello, here we are in the field of change. And therefore, time, being a measurement of that, exists here. And my experience is that there is a past, present, and future. And we're we're always living in the continual present, which is always changing. It's like, you know, there's a comedian. What's his
0: name? Swami... Swami anyway. Beyond Ananda.
1: Yes, that guy. Swami Beyond Ananda. I saw him do a shtick once, you know, he was like and it was right, it was like around New Year's, right? Whatever. And he goes, Is you know, you know, we live I can't remember his phrase. My phrase is we live in the continual present, but he said, We live in the present, but you know, it's changed. Goes, oh, you missed it. Oh, you missed mm-hmm. it again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's funny that when you mentioned his name, because I think that's dating us. I haven't heard much from him at, probably at least since the nineties.
1: Is that right? Yeah, no, no. I heard that he did this shtick up in San Francisco I want within the last five to eight years. Mm, I What's guess I think I just did, yeah. Oh, you just missed it. Present. Oh, you missed it again.
0: <laughs> now, you have memories of past lives, but do you have memories of the in-between lives, like just after leaving this body or signing pre-birth contracts or anything like that?
1: Yes, I do. Uh, I have a number of them. In fact, I'll tell you about the most recent one, which I describe in my new book, because it literally happened while I was writing, well, during the period when I was writing my book, uh, I'm pretty sure it was either January or February, I I have the date, because I actually wrote the date down of that one, uh, 2023, it happened just a couple months ago, when I was doing laps, swimming uh, in the pool. And in in my city pool, I swim three days a week and so forth. So if anybody's ever done, you know, repetitive exercise, you know, like swimming or I used to do long distance uh, running, you know, or bicycling or rowing or anything that's kind of repetitive like that, you can get into kind of a quasi meditative state. You know, you kind of, I mean, obviously you're not meditating because you're physically doing something and you get to somewhat pay attention to where you are, but your mind can kind of disengage more in that repetitive exercising motion. Probably many people in your audience have experienced that at some point. And I was, I don't know, I wasn't counting. Like I said, I just get into it and I'm on my back, do my backstroke laps and I'm like eight, nine, 10 laps in or something. And I had this flash. I'm like on the other side, looking down at, earth-ish, watching kind of what's going on. And it's the mid-19, it's like the mid-teens, 19, 16, 17, 18-ish or something. I'm not exactly sure when. At this point in the experience, I'm not exactly sure when, but I know the First World War is going on because that's what I'm seeing. The First World War is going on. And then I started realizing what I saw in the First World War, I I didn't realize specifically at this point in the experience, but I knew there was something, there was a knowingness of something that made me come back. And, And I was born, I'm guessing, around 1918, approximately, because I was a Second World War fighter pilot in the US Army Air Corps in the South Pacific. I flew F-4F Wildcat. So I talk about that off of aircraft carriers, I talk about that in my book. But the recent and that memory has come up over decades. But the recent thing that we're talking about on the other side, I had this memory of being on the other side a couple months ago, of being on the other side in 1916-17, looking down at the First World War. And interestingly enough, so then I so that's all that was my experience, um, and I knew at while I was swimming. Uh, that it had that my, my my experience had something to do with there was a knowingness of having been a previous leader of a country that was informing me and uh, of being the Prussian King okay that's all I knew so then I finished my lapse a couple months ago I come home and I Google it okay when would the when did the first world war end so it was November 11th 19 seven, 1918 the first world war ended and i said when was the was the treaty of versailles which was a you know ter, you know really a damning treaty you know f- to, to germany it really clamped them uh the allies really clamped them down and 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 many people blame the the severity of the versailles treaty for 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 creating the sec you know the the, the environment for hitler in the in second world war Anyway that was that wasn't that wasn't signed till June I think 19, uh, 1919 my experience in the pool was before that looking down there was something that happened before that and what did i find in i can't remember the exact i put it in my book but whatever it was in 1917 or so or maybe in the early 1918 it might have been early 1918 before germany Surrendered. Russia surrendered to Germany, and Russia had to give up. I can't remember. I again, the facts are all in my book. I looked it up. They had to give up a third of it. It had lost a third of its population in in the First World War, something like that. Had to give up a half of its GDP, something like crazy, uh, crazy stuff. And that's why Russia surrendered to Germany before Germany surrendered to the Allies. And so how did that, how how did my seeing that from the other side inform me to come back and anticipate that there was going to be a high likelihood of another war coming out of this? Because when I was Frederick the Great, King of Prussia, I had defeated Russia, and I knew how Russians thought about Germans. Hmm. And Russia then... I, I saw that. I think I saw that from the other side, and thought, "This is not going to last. This is going to blow up again."
0: Have you considered making an investigation into finding out who that pilot was?
1: You know, I did. I, I did, and I have some books, and I'm not sure if I was part of the Cactus Air Force, what they call the Cactus Air Force. The the the. Um, the US army co- uh i don't know if it was a secret i don't think it was a secret code but the code name for Guadalcanal was cactus they called it cactus 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 island cactus guadalcanal the island in the south pacific and there was a and it was, there was a motley crew of uh pilots that 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 protected it and i think i ended up there uh when the enterprise when i was flying off the enterprise um in a previous battle and the enterprise got um got dive bombed and two of the three elevators got knocked out the elevators that take the planes up and down so we Mm -hmm. couldn't land a lot of us couldn't land some of a few planes could land but most of us couldn't land so we landed on guadalcanal some temporarily and some stayed there longer i think i stayed longer based on triangulation of other memories that i had being in a jungle island and so forth um but uh yeah so uh hard 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 to say all these little facts, you know. You you kind of try to piece them together.
0: In one of your past lives, you were Simon Peter. Can mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit about what Jesus was like?
1: Uh yeah. I um that that memory came uh when I started uh, having this spontaneous experience of being crucified upside down and the details of which i get into you know obviously um but it it was um, happened on a, during a meditation retreat and it, you know i was with about 75 guys in the group meditations and it was happening to me every time for the whole 2 months um the experience with jesus was similar and different from the way it's described in the bible i think you know The Bible describes some things accurately and some things a little bit off in terms of my memory and some memories of my friends who I know now who also were with Jesus. Then some of us have 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 compared notes. Um, He was a very I think one of the things that is missed in the Bible, one of the big things that's missed in the Bible about him is how sharp his intellect was. As how, as how astute and intelligent he was. Yes, there's this notion of Jesus, and it's accurate of him being a very loving, uh, kind person, but this whole notion of turn the other cheek, he never said that. He would never, ever say that. You know, somebody put that in, I don't know who. But um, he is very, very kind and loving. And and as, there is a quote... And I don't, and I'm not a biblical scholar, so uh, it's in Matthew, and I can't remember the exact. Forgive me, the you know exact um, chapter and verse, but where he talks about wise like a serpent and gentle like a dove, and I'm probably misquoting it uh, uh, somewhat, but there's this notion of being wise like a serpent. Wise, most people are focusing on the gentle part and they think of jesus as being a gent he was gentle that's not to say he wasn't loving and gentle and kind but he he taught us how to be wise and astute and discerning is the word that i like to use in my teaching today in the 21st century discerning discriminating now discriminating meaning discerning not the negative discriminating way that is now evolved or devolved, if you could say, since the 1960s um, with racial discrimination. No, he 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 meant discrimination and discerning in, is that a good person or a bad person? You know, who are they? And, and loving, he defined as loving the other person for who they are, not who you wish they were, not who you want to make them out to be in your ideal image. He would say, No don't make people out to be what they're not. don't make them in try to make them into what your ideal image is. accept them for who they are. That's how he defined love. So he would say if somebody is being abusive and cruel to you, you deal with that by however you need manner you need to, including walking away and leaving them behind you in what I call my Kelvin Chin 21st century language, in your rearview mirror, he would say. That's being wise as a serpent. Gentle as a dove is not leaving them in anger and in rage and so forth and so on. But wise like a serpent is not, does not mean embracing somebody who's holding a knife. That's not wise like a serpent. Okay. And so a lot of that has been conflated and confused over the millennia, as it happens with every great teacher, you know, in history. I mean, it just happens. So I'm not blaming anybody. But those things, and the other thing is, he taught us to meditate, seeking the kingdom of heaven within. That's what he taught us to do. That wasn't prayer in terms of asking for stuff, like most people do. You can do that kind of prayer. I'm not saying it's wrong, but that's not what he meant when he said, seek the kingdom of heaven within. He meant go inside, connect with one's larger sense of self. We didn't call it meditation, but that's what we were doing. In retrospect, you know, having had all these monk lifetimes that I've had, I know what he was talking about now.
0: (laughs) I was going to ask, were there any other lifetimes where meditation was involved?
1: yeah several several monk lifetimes yeah um tibet china um I, there's a there's a section in my book i just call it the monastic period because there's a there's a lot of warring warring going on w a r r i n g where i'm in battles and so forth in certain lifetimes and then for a number of lifetimes and then i call it a monastic period from around uh 1200 AD to around 16, 1700 AD is my monastic period, where I had several monk lifetimes and some more inward turning, I would say, lifetimes. Yeah.
0: I've either heard or read that initially meditation started from us hiding in trees from animals. So we would sit very still and be quiet so we wouldn't get eaten.
1: I could see that. I could I could certainly see that. Yeah. That would make a lot of sense. I I I haven't heard that one, Jeff, but yeah, it makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, I've hidden in a lot of trees before. I I have memories of hidden hiding in trees thousands of years ago.
0: <laughs> now, some of your lives are of famous people and some of them are of people that are totally unknown. Right. Do you think you learned more from the famous or the unknown?
1: I think it's, that's hard to say. I, I, I'm a learner. That's what I choose to do is learn from my experiences. So I think I've learned from all I've, I know I've learned from all of them, something, um, but more one or the other. I don't think, I think one thing you could say um, about having lifetimes where again, we say famous. Famous is always in retrospect, isn't it? I mean, you, Jeff, 500 years from now, or 50 years from now, or 150 years from now, could be a thousand more f- times more famous than you are now, right? It's always in retrospect. So, but if we talk about my leadership, let's we'll look, look at it from a leadership versus famous role because i'm not thinking about myself being famous when i'm a leader but i'm fairly well known obviously if i'm leading the roman empire at, which was about 20 20 20 to 25 percent of the world's population at the time as marcus aurelius um or frederick the Great, or richard and so forth um What I learned from those experiences that may be different from the unknown experiences is that I learned how to navigate um, and manage large groups of people, um, but also how to uh, see where, where, where potential pitfalls are. And how to navigate those potential pitfalls, so that when I come back in another lifetime, where there's a potential, because there's never a you know guarantee. Who knows? You you could be born into a royal family, and just be, you know, sh- sh- you know, put put in a corner somewhere too. That happens in history, right? Um, but where there's a high, you know, a probability of of being in a leadership role, it didn't scare me. It didn't scare me because kind of been there done that kind of a thing so i think that's a learning that you learn and you kind of get a familiarity with oh been there oh i can do that you know it's like anything in life you've done it once you've done it a couple times the third fourth fifth time it comes around you kind of go yeah yeah okay i got that i i i i i'm not starting at square zero right or square one um But my my lifetime, you know, that my unknown lifetime that I think has helped me the most this lifetime, which is the way I look at past lives, how do they inform us today to help me as Kelvin Chin in my 20th and 21st century lives, now, lifetime now, um, is my slave one, the one you mentioned where I was a slave.
0: In chapter 11, you write about being Richard the Lionheart. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like being in the Crusades and...
1: Wow, the Crusades. So the Crusades, um, they were brutal on a lot of levels for me. I mean, at first, it felt like because the Pope ordered the Crusades, first of all, it's it's, those people don't understand the history. Um, The Pope ordered the Crusades. uh, All the European leaders, you know, all the kings throughout europe go to the crusades uh take back jerusalem from um, you know the saracens what we now what we what they we then called the saracens what we now call the muslims <clears throat> and uh so gathering everybody together there was an excitement initially i guess you would say um uh but I had been in enough wars and <laughs> battles. Let's just say, at uh, that point in my life, to know that war is no picnic. And um, I, I, I traveled over there with twenty thousand troops, many of whom had been farmers before, uh, you know, tax evaders—literally tax evaders, criminals in prison, uh, murderers, rapists, literally. Uh, was was the makeup we we took anybody who could fight and this was a holy war right uh on behalf of christendom uh christianity when you once you get there it's like and you're in battle and you're in the desert and you're wearing all this chainmail, and you have like 30 40 pounds 50 60 pounds uh depending on how much armor you have on um your helmet you know your swords everything your battle axes and all that in the desert um it's brutal just physically just in the heat um the supply line to have enough water and food and all, and all of that so you know i remember being in battles and i and i get into this in great detail in my book this is that lifetime being in the crusades in 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 other battles in Europe um it's probably the lifetime I have the most memories of the most really visceral um detailed memories of that of of all of my 24 lifetimes is that one um I can taste the grit of and the feel of sand in my mouth and the feel of my broadsword going through body parts it's kind of you know i don't want to get too graphic here but um you know i was a huge man then i was six foot five 230 235 pounds um so i was about 300 pounds with my armor on and everything uh on horseback on our we had 1400 pound war horses you know we'd ride our regular horse eight eight nine hundred pound horse a regular horse and in, in battle we'd had for the knights we had 1400 pound war horses and i'm, and I'm fighting. Men who are a hundred to hundred and fifty pounds lighter than I am, and you know, a foot smaller than I am. Um, so it was a, a, a really a brutal experience in battle and so forth. Um, you know, a lot of strategizing, et cetera, et cetera. But the other emotional thing that I remember from that lifetime that was very moving for me and disturbing, quite frankly, and I think shifted. My subsequent lifetimes and choices that I made was the, um, we'll just call them my run-ins with the Pope at the time, and um, how I started to see that the Pope had uh, personal, ego, uh, and political agenda that far superseded any of his religious uh, aims in terms of the crusades. And that really bothered me. And and finally I just I called it quits. And we had a truce with Saladin, who was the leader of the Saracens, the Muslims at the time. Yeah. And we we left.
0: Do you talk about your past lives with your family? And if so, mm. how do they react to it?
1: Um well they've had their own memories. My 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 kids have Um, you know, obviously I've, you know, I've told my, my, my wives previously that, you know, before we've gotten together, you know, so that they know what they're getting into if they're marrying me, (laughs) um, full disclosure, as they say. Um, and I appreciate the fact that they've kept it private for all these years. I never thought I'd be talking about this stuff since 1977, you know, friends, family. <clears> there's <throat> a close group who who's known about this but um my kids yeah, uh, my daughter and I've been together several times that I talk about in the book and I that I have very clear memories of my son I've clear memory of being with him in a more recent lifetime um and um uh, sure I've been with him many other times as well um but yeah, we talk about it you know my kids and I we talk about it very openly. I mean, they've born into this, you know, I mean, they, I, they they chose to come here to be with me. It's very clear. Right. And so they've born into a family where talking about past lives, it's like, it's no big deal. It's just, it's just part of the, part of the landscape.
0: You say in your book that you don't actually have to remember your past lives to develop spiritually.
1: Right. Right.
0: What do you mean by that?
1: yeah i i i i first of all i really do mean it i'm not just saying it um you don't have to remember your past lives and i think most people won't remember their past lives and for various reasons like i alluded to before i think the main is fear fear of there's fear and embarrassment i think those are the two main reasons you know fear of death or whatever or anything related to death i don't, I don't want to go there or um uh Embarrassment, you know, just not not proud of stuff they did, and I'm not proud of stuff I've everything that I've done in my past either. We we I've learned from it though, and I think generally my trajectory has been in one of improvement. <laughs> I'm hoping that's how I'm seen or uh, how I see myself anyway. Um, but no, I don't think we need to remember the past lives, but I do think one thing that we every, anybody can look at is their emotional patterns. I call them. What, what what patterns do we have within us that seem to really drive us in a, in a positive or a negative way? Uh, why do I really go this way? or why do I make those kind of choices? And why why am I really attracted to this? and why am I really, you know, turned off by that? Those kind of visceral, what I call them, emotional patterns that everybody is aware of if they look inside themselves, about themselves. You don't have to go too deep to figure, you know, to see some of them right away. What, what what what's causing those? And I think those are linked to our past lives, whether you believe in past lives or not doesn't matter. And whether you can access your past lives, that doesn't matter either. You access these emotional patterns, which are right there below the surface. And then you can get, you can really start digging, get some really deep, deep emotional patterns. Um Learning using them as teaching tools is what I suggest to my students. Using them as teaching tools to teach us more about who we are, and to accept the fact that we're not perfect, and there's the good, bad, and the ugly within everybody. And hopefully, there's less ugly and less bad and more good, because nobody's perfect. But you know, hopefully, hopefully, most people are working more towards the more good than the and, and less of the ugly and the bad. But there's a mixture, and as we get to understand a little bit more about that, how we each uniquely, individually, within our each of ourselves, is made up, that's, to me, what self-development is, isn't it? I mean, that's what personal and spiritual self-development is. That's why we call it self-development. It's about oneself, right? Learning more about oneself, knowing oneself.
0: Kelvin, can people find your book on Amazon or your website?
1: Yeah, you can just... Find it on Amazon. There's an ebook. There's a the print book. Obviously, this is the cover of the print book. Uh, my daughter did the the cover design. By the way, it's great. Um, and um, I'm a I'm a good, about to do an audio book. Probably, it'll be out in a month or two, something like that.
0: Awesome. If people want to ask you questions about your book, where should they do that?
1: Well, they can do it obviously on your podcast. Uh, you know, in the in the comments section. Or I do a free phone session for anybody in the world about anything that I do or teach. Um, and you just they just go to kelvinchin.org and send me an email in the contact page. And we schedule a, a talk. And it's free. I do this part of my nonprofit work to help people with whatever they got going on. kelvinchin.org.
0: Yeah. That's great. Kelvin, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last
1: positive message? couple of different things. One is the main message is to reduce our fears and to, and to not be fearful. And in the line of what we're discussing today of not being fearful, understand that we have plenty of time. My experience is that our souls are eternal. That doesn't mean to postpone stuff and put stuff off and so forth so on and just procrastinate. I think We live, as we said earlier, in the continual present. So why not use the continual present as as maximally as possible? But don't don't get worried that we cannot change the world or change ourselves in a positive way overnight and we've failed. Because we have a long time. We have eternity to work things out, work as quickly and as efficiently as we can in the present. And on that continual present is built our continual future.
0: Kelvin, thank you for that message and thank you for being my guest.
1: Thanks, Jeff. Good to see you again.
0: Likewise. Mm-hmm. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.